Welcome to season seven of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Are you passionate about leadership education? Do you want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? Then this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Hi, and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are so excited about this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Before we introduce our guest, just want to share a little bit about a couple of special episodes that we are doing to honor two of the International Leadership Association's Lifetime Achievement Award winners. Today we're joined by Dr. Barbara Crosby, and we'll share a little bit more about her in a moment. And then we're also going to be recording an episode with Dr. Susan Kamabez. So these are very special episodes. And this interview with Dr. Crosby is our first ever live in-person interview. Uh, We're recording this uh, right after the uh, closing luncheon in Washington, D.C. at the tail end of the 24th annual ILA Global Conference. And it's also the first time that... Lauren and I have been in person in the same physical space together uh, since before the pandemic. So very excited to jump into this episode and share this experience with y'all. So today we're joined by Dr. Barbara Crosby, who was recently honored at the 24th International Leadership Association Global Conference with the ILA Lifetime Achievement Award. This award honors individuals who have made a significant lifetime contribution to the field of leadership through their published works and influential support of leadership knowledge and practice. Each honoree is presented with ILA's Lifetime Achievement Award and has their work celebrated at the Global Conference. After the conference, recipients are added to the ILA Virtual Hall of Fame. To share a little more background about Barbara, she is Associate Professor Emerita at the Hubert H. Humphrey School of Public Affairs and former academic co-director of the Center for Integrative Leadership at the University of Minnesota. She's taught and written extensively about leadership and public policy, integrative leadership, cross-sector collaboration, women in leadership, media and public policy, and strategic planning. Dr. Crosby is a longtime member of the ILA and has been especially active in the public leadership member community. She served many years on the editorial board of Leadership Quarterly and is a frequent speaker at conferences and workshops. Uh, She's conducted training for senior managers of nonprofit business and government organizations in the United States and abroad. Dr. Crosby, congratulations and thank you for joining us today to reflect on the special experience of this year's conference. And I'm very happy to be here. So one of the things we love to do when we have special guests on is mm-hmm. to just talk about how we were first introduced yeah. to them. Uh, many yes. of the of our guests are folks that we uh, we do know, and mm-hmm. so I was very lucky to be introduced to uh, to Barbara during. Um, uh, well, I think it was in the within the first six months that we were writing the Pause for Pedagogy mm-hmm. column for the ILA, mm-hmm. and you had just written your book, Teaching Leadership, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, Maybe it was Deborah DeRuver, I think, uh, connected us. And I think you had reached out to to her, um, which I'm so glad we were yeah. like, um, I remember re- reaching out to my uh, co-editor, Lisa Andrews, mm-hmm. and I said, someone's reading Posture Pedagogy. <laughs> um, and so you wanted to, um, you know, to share your book with mm-hmm. the ILA members. And 
we, you wrote a short piece, kind of mm-hmm. summarizing some mm-hmm. of the major points about the book, and then we got to do a short video interview yeah. um, together, and I got to know you a little bit better in your story and some of your background, uh, both um, in, in media and press and politics and then, mm-hmm. and then in academia. And I was able to, I said, can I just ask you something about my own career? Because I had, I guess I thought I had a captive audience. <laughs> and uh, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my sabbatical. Yes. And you know, I said, oh, I don't know, this, that. And the other said, well, you know, there's someone that you should probably try and find at the Brussels conference. So this yes. would have, that was 2017, I think. Uh-huh. Was it 16 or 17? I think 17. And so uh, you said, you should meet Chuck Palace. Yeah. He's at the Center for Creative yes. Leadership. And I said, and I remember my reaction being immediate because I had seen him and his colleague Stedman Harrison facilitate yeah. with the Visual Explorer and all the sure. tools. And so yeah, I think you made an email introduction. I mm. tracked. I, I would say I tracked him. I would say I stalked him. <laughs> um, at he the would probably not say that you stalked him. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. Uh, and we did get to tell that story because we yeah. did have Chuck and Stedman on oh, um, about two years ago, and they were fantastic yeah. guests. And so I did track him down, yeah. and uh, after it we couldn't stop talking to each other. Mm. I mean, it was just like, um, we had Belgian waffle and a Belgian beer, one of the big receptions, and just talk, talk, talk. And it just was like, and, I, and, I'm, and again, so thankful for you uh, making that connection for me and, and uh, kind of being the, um, you know, the, the thing that ignited my opportunity oh, to have a really wonderful. impactful uh, sabbatical experience mm. uh, with the Center for Creative Leadership. So thank you again for introducing oh, me to Chuck. That we could do that. So, I yeah. remember that because that was right around tw- the and it was December at LEI where y'all did the presentation, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so we did a series because of the sabbatical work. Yeah. We did a series of presentations uh, at ILA, ALE, mm-hmm. LEI, LEI, NASPA, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. all on that work. Um, and I still keep in touch with them, but um, the pandemic really hit the CCL, yeah. I think, particularly hard. Yeah. So because they um, did so much face to face. Right. Right. Yeah. Although I'm still focused on the compatibility of beer and waffles. <laughs> did, did you have those at the same time? Well, they were dessert, well I guess the, the, Belgian, the, the Belgians call them the, the dessert waffles, you know, they're smothered in chocolate or Nutella or whatever it is, but it was whatever they were serving at that reception. Um, I'm at the wrong reception. Yeah. You need to, right, you got to find the other receptions. Um, but in any case, so, all right. Yes. So this is actually my first ILA, uh-huh. which has been such a great experience. And so I'd love to hear from you. How did you get involved with ILA? Well, I heard that it was getting started. There had been, as perhaps you know, a few years of gatherings uh, sponsored by the Kellogg Foundation grant. Um, you know, people like James McGregor Burns, Barbara Kellerman, and Dick Kuto uh, were gathering to try to get a grip on the leadership field. You know, we've talked a lot about James McGregor Burns uh, at this event even now, um, you know, 24 years on after the founding of ILA, because he and that group of initiators uh, were so um, passionate about trying to develop new approaches to leadership that weren't necessarily about, you know, how do you become the greatest individual leader? And before that, there had been so much study of, uh, you know, the, the charismatic figure who emerges, how does that come about, or who rises up through the ranks in a business corporation. And clearly, there was a lot more to leadership than just 
who advances to top positions of authority in all kinds of organizations. So, uh, you know, Burns came out of a more of a historical and, and political science background, and, um, you know, he, uh, as we heard today from Al Gothels, had added on to his own kind of disciplinary experience, writing a lot about presidential uh, leadership, uh, to think about this relationship between people that were identified as leaders and followers because leadership is a relationship, is relational. And now scholars have taken that to all kinds of directions, but uh, that assertion that and insight that Jim Burns had about the nature of the leader-follower relationship was a big breakthrough, I think. And also his focus on power. You know, what were the power dynamics involved in engaging other people to try to undertake some kind of, of action? And also then, of course, uh, you know, this has been critiqued, but the connection to human needs, uh, Maslow's hierarchy uh, was, you know, incorporated into this work. And I think we have plenty of examples where we can see the value of that insight that Burns had that people in leader roles can play a big role in helping people move through concern with individual needs and immediate group needs to some kind of broader uh, concern for the society. And leaders can play strong roles in moving in the other direction, back to me and mine versus uh, you know the good of my community or my society or my country or whatever. So I think tracing back to the, the legacy that Jim Burns and others in the group I just mentioned uh, were playing really more than 25 years ago uh, with the help of a foundation grant. I don't know the details of how that grant was secured. Uh, but Lorraine Matusik, who was in that group, actually worked at Kellogg, so I think she had a, a really pivotal role. Anyway, I was at that point, um, I had a history with the Reflective Leadership Center at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota. I had been a journalist for a lot of years. Uh, I'd worked in governor's offices, um, and I was really almost on the side doing some further work interviewing people who were long-term social justice activists. And I guess, you know, I had also filled roles with um, uh, some organizations in that territory as well. And I wanted to know more about how people got involved in social movements, how they stuck with it over the long haul, because it can be a very disillusioning experience. Um, and I was getting ready to write what became Leadership for the Common Good with John Bryson, and who whose expertise is around community organizing, strategic planning for public and nonprofit organizations. And I said, well, uh, this would be around 1982. I need more grounding in the academic research and theorizing around social justice and social movement leadership. And there, uh, at that point, uh, at the Humphrey School, there was uh, something called the Reflective Leadership Center that was just beginning. I think it had about a year or so of existence before I got involved. I said, well, they're offering these year-long symposia or nine-month symposia. I, I could go and be a part of that. 
and that would help me with so it was that moment that kind of at that era where I caught on that I was looking at leadership <laughs> and then um, we invited people like uh, James McGregor Burns and Barbara Kellerman and Ron Heifetz you know the the at the time the people that seemed to be working on uh, leadership from our perspective that was going to help us at a school of public affairs offer courses uh, and seminars and so on that met the needs of uh, probably you'd say emerging leaders mid-career leaders uh, where we could see that some of the more popular things that were on offer weren't re very relevant uh, to people who weren't presidents of the United States or, <laughs> you know, leading Congress or CEOs or senior leaders in organizations. So, uh, so that was a really exciting time. You know, we didn't exactly know what we were doing all the time. And uh, we tried to draw the best from these other thinkers, uh, many of whom were then involved in that circle of people I mentioned, who then, you know, 24 years ago, actually launched the International Leadership Association. Um, I don't think I made it to the first ILA, I made it to the second one. And it was just wonderful to come to a place where everybody cared about understanding leadership. And then, you know, subsequent years, there was a big focus on um, followership as well. And, you know, kind of this notion that we move back and forth in these roles and also um, in my own uh, studies, I would say, being an engaged follower or a constituent, however you want to say it, is good preparation for being an effective leader. So we're talking about the, the International you know, Leadership Association, and it, it, um, you've shared a little bit with us about how you got involved yes. in the association. Yes. What, what would you say it's meant to you, like personally and professionally? Well, it's been very stimulating always. I mentioned before that, you know, most, if you come out of a disciplinary background, you go to the political science association or the public administration groups or, uh, you know, maybe psychology or whatever. And the feel of, of those conferences is very different, especially if leadership is your main thing, which is the case for my, for my work. And so then, you know, at those places, you often have to be a part of creating the space to give any kind of attention to leadership uh, or convince people that it's something other than uh, people in, you know, what people in positions of authority do. Um, and here, you don't have to do that. Um, and you've got plenty of people who want to uh, argue sometimes about what in the world is leadership, what's the most important to focus on, all of that. Um, you know, and you might, as we heard from Al Gothels today, have a group that thinks we could have a general theory of leadership. Well, we, you know, I remember the years with ILA of going to the scholars uh, symposia and so on and arguing and arguing about what ought to be in the general theory, was it possible, and so on. And finally, this group, I think, reasonably decided, uh, actually, that's the wrong quest. Um, but mapping the field is very helpful. And that, you know, the book toward uh, the quest for a general theory of leadership came out of that. Um, and I think that was a very helpful uh, compilation 
that Georgia Sorensen and Al Gothels put together, uh, you know, with some of the very best scholars in our field. I think it could be done again, uh, updated. And um, so I think that's it. the other piece here is that um, over time, you know, we've differentiated within ILA public leadership, which is the zone that I've hung out in the most, uh, leadership development, which I've also uh, helped, uh, you know, join their sessions a lot over the years, leadership education, leadership scholarship. And then one of the things that we realize now, 20-ish years on, is that, you know, public leadership, for one, in a way became a launching pad for even other interest groups like Leadership for Peace, Leadership for Sustainability. I mean, initially, the people who had that kind of specific interest were presenting through public leadership. So I think the time has come to do more bridging again among these different leadership uh, communities because the challenges we face as a society, not just a you know, uh, academic community and practice community, is are so significant that these things need to work together more. So I'm hopeful that um, future sessions of ILA will have more opportunities to somehow get these groups together um, and not as maybe as much off in our own little yeah. silos. Yeah, they might have some affinity for each other too, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. So yes. No, this is, it is interesting because we're you know, thinking of all the great work that, that you see put out here and the yeah. different research agenda presentations on you know, the, the guiding principles work that was just done for leadership programs. Yes. And, and so you know, I, I heard Denny Roberts was in a session earlier today and he says, we did all this great work, but we're not talking about it. You know, yeah. hey, it's on the website. Yeah. And so I, I totally yeah. agree with you that there's certainly some more opportunities for yeah. ILA to be a convener. Yes. Um, and in some ways, it maybe are more intentional. And it sounds yeah. like you've had some of those types of experiences. Yes. And then you see the opportunity for some of those um, things to, to happen. Yeah. It feels like there's this push to continue to be better. It's like this grace mm -hmm. and um, gratefulness and mindfulness mm -hmm. and, and almost like satisfaction. Like there's so many mm -hmm. people who say this feels like home for them. Yes. But then in true health fashion, you're always working on your house. Your water heater goes one day, your roof may yeah. need replacement. Yeah. And so it feels like there's always this, this unsatisfied mm -hmm. space that we have to continue to keep mm -hmm. challenging the great work that we're celebrating mm -hmm. in these spaces. Yeah. And it feels very reactive to what's happening, meaning mm -hmm. I don't know that 10 or 15 years ago, sustainability mm -hmm. was gonna be talked about with the seriousness. Um, that it is now in I the same way diversity is, in yes. the same way these other spaces yes. are, right? Yeah. And so it's a, it's a beautiful place to be mm -hmm. and to, to live in that space. Yeah. I, I wonder for you, are there any like memorable, super memorable moments, like one time where you're like, oh, this this meeting with this person stood out, or you know, Dan and I always share the <laughs> Sonia, Sonia Sotomayor meeting yeah. for us, but is there a space mm. um, where one thing sticks out? You know, I could probably summon up a lot of different things, uh, and I guess I'll immediately offer one that I mentioned the other morning, which was, well, Ron Reggio was uh, my conversation partner for the session that kind of focused on my life's work uh, on Friday morning, and, um, and I recalled then, as he did, uh, a breakfast we had together in Montreal 
And um, I, at that time, was working on uh, what became this book, Teaching Leadership. And I was, um, you know, looking at the last few years of full-time teaching and thinking, you know, I want to pull this together in some way. What we have, we, meaning the colleagues that I taught with at the University of Minnesota in the leadership and management area, as well as uh, some of the seasoned educators uh, who have been kind of on the same quest as I and my uh, colleagues at Humphrey to figure out, you know, the, the best methods of uh, helping people access the best of leadership theory and research and apply it to their own work, or vice versa, or bring their own work and then we'll figure out what is helpful to you. Um, so anyway, um, I don't know how long the saga went on, but initially I was trying to write a, a book with two of my Humphrey colleagues, uh, Gary DeKramer and Jody Sanford, and we would have these great sessions, you know, when you've been working on some book or some writing project that's pretty exciting but not formed, you know, how you can have these great sessions uh, of trying to uh, get each other's ideas and say, is this possible, and so on. And each one of us would go away and write some stuff. And um, I'm a firm believer in, you know, uh, paying attention to one's narrative uh, in how we understand ourselves in the world before we try to help uh, interact with other people to do something. And so we were doing some autobiographical work as well. Um, and Gary had brought to our teaching programs a, an exercise called Narrative of Commitment. And it basically consists of just a few questions. What is one uh, effort or um, commitment that you have um, adopted in your life. What is it? Is it to you know serve the hungry? Is it to um, you know pr protect the security of my community or whatever? What is that one commitment that you have uh, adhered to in your life? And then say where did that come from? You know uh, what are the roots of that commitment? The third question is uh, well. What stands in the way of enacting this in your life? Um, and then finally, you know, what kind of uh, observation would you make about going forward? What will you need to go forward with this commitment? Uh, so Gary had that piece and all of, you know, in our classes, we asked people to write this in a very reflective way, bring it back to small groups, and then maybe revisit it later in the course. Um, and to do that, then I feel I gotta do it myself in order to let people see what we're talking about. Um, at any rate, that's the kind of thing we were up to. Anyway, in the course of this, Gary suddenly died. He was just 63, I think, something like that. Very unexpected. And, um, you know, we had to recover from that. Both Jody and I, and I think probably especially I, had to cover courses and, you know, get through the semester and help people deal with their grief because, you know, leadership teaching is often a very, well, you could say, you know, vulnerable uh, activity for people to truly be examining themselves and their work and revealing their aspirations and their failures and so on 
Um, and so when you lose a teacher in the middle of something like this, you've got to recognize what a loss it is. Yeah. And so that happened, you know, we had to recalibrate. I then, Jody dropped out of the project. She didn't see how she could go ahead with it. And um, I said, well, <laughs> now what? <laughs> so actually John Bryson, who's my collaborator on so many things, said, well, maybe there's the possibility of drawing on the expertise and wisdom of people outside of Humphrey that you know, you know, and you've already worked with. And so that's what I eventually decided I would do. I talked to Ron then after, I, I mean, Ron Reggio was one of the people that I wanted to draw on, you know, his insights and so on. I said, well, Ron, here's what I'm up to. What do you think? You know, is this feasible that we could draw on uh, really mostly seasoned educators. The idea of the book was to help both seasoned educators reflect on what they had learned and where they might improve maybe, um, but also novices who so often in our field, people come into it and say, oh, suddenly I have to teach a leadership course. Wait a minute. What is leadership? You know, where are the good sources and theories? And I think that still goes on. Yes. And, um, and so I really wanted to provide a resource. And so uh, then as I talked to Ron, Ron said, well, you know, George Sorensen and I are editing this series of books for uh, Rutledge, and, and uh, you know, this might be a good thing for them. So I said, okay, I'll think about that. And put together a book proposal, and you know, it was accepted. And then I rounded up everybody. But that's, you know, the kind of thing that happens at a, at the International Leadership Association, is that you make those connections. Now I had, a you know, a relationship with Ron that had developed over the years, but um, I don't think we'd ever done a, a session together or anything like that. It's just a, we had developed a mutual appreciation of our work, right. and. Um, you know, then it's serendipity. Yeah, I mean, it's the beauty of coming together with this community, you yeah. know, is, um, and thinking about um, just coming from the session where all of the awardees were, the Lifetime Achievement Awardees were, mm. I guess, officially honored, although you have yeah. been honored multiple times, and <laughs> rightly so, um, during the, the course of the last the last few days, and Susan Kamavet is sharing that, you know, the, the word co, co-collaborators co yes. and co-editing, and, yes. and the opportunity to be able to bounce those ideas yeah. off of a captive audience of yeah. people that you know like you're not you're not starting from from a you're starting yeah. you're somewhere in the middle of the alphabet at least because <laughs> people like they already we're all here doing the same work right yes. and so when you sit down with someone i mean yeah. someone like ron riggio is obviously yes. extremely experienced yes. but you know that hey you know or, or you say something in a session somebody comes up to you and yeah. says hey you know you were saying this and you should meet this person yeah. and, i mean where mm -hmm. else does that mm -hmm. happen right yes. because you're right. able to you have yep. this captive sounding board um, yep. uh, available to you and it's yeah. you know people say why do you keep going back to this conference yeah. and it's because of not only because it's like a homecoming and a reunion yeah. especially with this being the first one in the states since 2018 and yeah. it was hugs awesome. and, yeah, right, and yeah. you know, um, all that kind of stuff and being able to observe other people doing yes. having all these just meaningful yes. reconnections and things um, for well, sure yeah. I would say one other thing about it is that ILA has always attended to the well-being of the attendees, you know, and so 
just something as simple as the breakfast, uh, the pickup breakfast in the mornings, always having coffee available, um, you know, uh, giving space for arts events, um, having music today at the luncheon, you know, it kind of boosts your spirits, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and that's been a hallmark of ILA. Yeah, yeah, they have been intentional for sure. And yeah, mm -hmm. and some of the really interactive, I didn't get to make my own plate or whatever it was. I saw that that was on the schedule, but some of the other conferences um, I, I did see were very interactive or yes. taking pictures of people. There was the one where people were like painting their hands and their and their faces and things a couple years ago. I, I know this is your first ILA. I'm looking at Lauren. Hey, I've been um, part of a choir yeah. that was put mm -hmm. together. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and her husband, I uh, had a good time with that. And I kept trying to remember lyrics yeah I mean yeah and, and it, it creates this this great space you know so so one of the things you said when you were officially again accepting the award yeah. just uh, just an hour ago here you uh, and you were so grateful and, and made sure to thank all the yeah. folks particularly in the, the public leadership community for all the space that they provided for you to to be honored and, and, and thanked and recognized so you know you're you're at the spotlight at this <laughs> conference right for you for your honor like how has that been different for you mm. versus the other conferences that you participated in well it puts a little pressure on yeah. one. <laughs> um, I think this isn't the only conference I've gone to fairly recently, you know, where you have to acknowledge that uh, you're kind of a senior figure in the field, you know. Um, and the, it kind of feels good to be in that space um, and realize, I mean, I don't know uh, as much as I want to know about our field and our practice, but I do know something. <laughs> and, and it's kind of neat to be able to offer that um, in a respectful way. Uh, so that it provides some um, assistance to people who are still kind of saying, you know, where are the resources? Uh, which theories are better than other theories or more helpful? Uh, who is doing the work that uh, I might connect with? I love playing that kind of role or helping people kind of move beyond, you know, one thing that's happening in our field a bit is what happens in most academic fields is that you get kind of narrower and narrower because what get, what's you know, a rewarded often is, uh, you know, some kind of uh, replicable study of some very narrow piece. I'm not denigrating that kind of work because it can be very helpful. All I'm saying is that often then if that becomes the focus, it's hard to move out from that and say, okay, then how does this fit? Um, one of the things we talk about a lot, I know, Dan, you care about this, is uh, do people who are actually in leadership roles draw on our, our insights and research and findings and so on, or do they just fly by the seat of their pants as people have done forever? Uh, you know, I wanna keep trying to make that connection in, my, in everything I do and helping other people make that connection. Yeah. You know, c coming back to the, it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I do kind of want to circle back to um, the your teaching leadership book, because yeah. I had a thought on, on one side of my head, and then we, <laughs> we kind of diverged a, yeah. a little bit. But you know, it's interesting, because the when Kathy Guthrie and I pursued our book project on, which was a uh, teaching leadership yep. type of book, and then we went, oh no, that title's already been taken, you know? <laughs> and then uh, and then Gama Perucci and Sandra yeah. Hall also wrote a book yes. called, uh, uh, with I think a similar yeah. title uh, about teaching leadership. Yeah. 
And it was for the same reason of what are those resources that we wish mm -hmm. leadership educators had when they were starting mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when Carrie Priest and I had the opportunity to co-edit the New Directions for Student Leadership yep. issue on becoming and being a leadership yeah. educator, I knew to, I, you were on, you were like one of the first people we talked about yeah. when we were putting together who do we want yeah. as contributors yes. and then to connect you with Corey Seemiller yeah. because of the work that her and I had done founding the Leadership Education Academy and mm -hmm. knowing that you had so much insight on that reflective element mm -hmm. and the reflex reflexivity yeah. and just the 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 um, you know the lens and the mm -hmm. positionality of like being a leadership educator the identity yeah. work right yes. and I that was not an, an area of expertise for me I <laughs> I was learning and absorbing so much yeah. from reading your work from working with Corey from working with Carrie yeah. and others in the field and I just the the it, it's. I mean, my, my, I guess, uh, analysis or opinion of the, like, is it a book about, like, hey, here's what you're going to go in the classroom and, and do to, like, here's how to teach leadership? Yeah. I would say, no, it's yeah. not. It's a book for leadership educators yeah. to get better at their own right. practice and right. understand their own. Yes. Um, and what a beautiful, I just want folks that are listening to, yeah. the, to, to know. It is, you can learn so much about yourself and your own mm -hmm. practice. Yeah. through going through some of the exercises um, yeah. in the book and then yeah. in the article. And some of those you, you picked out and shared again. Yes. Um, in the, so I'm just curious, I mean, how did you decide to, to go, to, to take that angle? You mean on uh, using personal narrative or yeah. the identity piece? Because it's modeled, I mean, yeah. it's like, hey, you should do this, like, your students yeah. should do this work, but yeah. hey, guess what, you should do it. You should, too, should mm -hmm. probably do it first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's, it is often hard for leadership educators to think of ourselves as leaders mm -hmm. and analyze our own leadership practice, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and to a certain extent, you have to be conscious of where you get into trouble. Um, and I said earlier this week, you know, when I first got involved, I mean, I'm somebody who does pretty well in terms of assimilating theory and uh, making sense of it and so on. And, and so, Early on, when I was invited to come and give a little talk about uh, leadership theory, uh, like, you know, leadership by James McGregor Burns, I thought, oh, good, you know, I'll master this, and I'll come to the, <laughs> the people in the family medicine program at the University of Minnesota who thought they needed some leadership development, and I'll tell them all about what James McGregor Burns has said about leadership, because I thought it was pretty fascinating. And I was, you know, kind of concerned about whether I was going to remember everything I was going to say and I'd write things up on them. And I would look out there after a while, people are just, you know, kind of <laughs> with their heads and, you know, looking glazed. And, and I'm thinking, why aren't they so excited? I'm excited about this. You know, and it took me a while to understand that that was, I mean, it's a, it's a tried and not so true way of providing higher ed, right? You assume, you know, you assume because we get rewarded for all the learning we've done that then we are really good at that and we expect other people to then just kind of take in everything we've got to tell them. Well, you know, I found out pretty severely that, uh, and that was just one example. You know, we had the symposium, you know, people would come in there pretty feisty and, and say, well, I don't buy it, you know, this isn't having any relevance to, to my experience. Uh, I'm not even sure I want to do leadership work. I just, you know, kind of grappling with this. Anyway, I had to learn the hard way about 
uh, the need to make classes interactive, uh, to realize that a lot of the expertise lay with other people. Um, and But retain my own enthusiasm uh, for this work and, uh, you know, start delving more deeply myself into how do you, so what motivates me a lot is how do you tackle these complex public issues uh, in a way that honors different experiences, different needs, and so on, and build sustainable coalitions over time to get to a better place in terms of uh, people's uh, people's and communities' well-being. Mm -hmm. And so that's mm -hmm. what's driven my own leadership research a lot, and it also is at the core of how I provide leadership education to help people see what my individual concerns and, and resources are that might have application then to building effective teams, to, to analyzing organizational and societal issues, to building humane and effective organizations, to you know, helping develop a larger vision for my community, uh, to dealing with the power dynamics, mm -hmm. to uh, thinking through then ultimately qu questions of, of how do you put all this together in a policy process. It goes back to your question of what are you committed to? Like when you asked that, in my head I wanted to stop the interview and be like, well, what am I committed to? Like, yeah. I don't know, right? Like, or, or questioning yeah. it, right? But but it feels like you've, you've taken that reflective moment mm -hmm. that you talked about mm -hmm. and really put it into practice and carried it forward. Yeah. And now that you're at ILA and you're being mm -hmm. honored in this yeah. way, it, it kind of makes perfect sense and it puts it all together for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so now my homework, I feel like, <laughs> is to go back and answer that question like what are you committed to in yeah. this space so i'll send you an email all right with my response absolutely so you can see oh i'd love to see that <laughs> thinking about the experiences you've had being part of the ila experience mm. at the conference these, yeah. these last few days and just you know your journey through this field um, yeah. you know what what didn't we ask you that you know you yeah. you want to share with us and, mm. and with with our folks that, that listen who are you know those uh, are, are primarily leadership educators yeah well, uh, you know, I, I love the opportunity here to have both these plenary sessions that really focus on kind of major uh, thematic areas, you know. So we talked about wisdom in the, the uh, time of crisis or whatever it is. I mean, well, you can always find crises to work on, and I think leadership is affected, uh, you know, leadership demand and potential is affected by what's going on in the larger society and in the world. Is this worse than it's ever been? I don't know for sure. Uh, you know, people have been talking about the so-called VUCA world for a long time, the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, etc. Um, you know, we both have tools right now to help us uh, respond. Um, and so some of those tools are probably more useful than others. So, you know, one of the tools that John Bryce and I use a lot is strategy mapping to help groups uh, figure out what they want to accomplish, what kind of capabilities they need to accomplish it, and then if they were able to carry out whatever strategy with these tools, then 
ultimately what would result from that, and also to think in a systems way of, uh, you know, if we do X, does it affect the system in a positive way, or are balancing feedback loops going to come around and just, you know, make it impossible to uh, really have the kind of change we want? Are we creating more problems by doing certain things? Um, you know, so right now, uh, I said the other day, I think the whole world almost is suffering from long COVID. <laughs> you know, that there are, there's an aftermath to the kind of experience that we went through as a world yeah. that's almost at the level of a world war. Mm -hmm. uh, because think of how many lives were lost, yeah. mm -hmm. how many families were affected by mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. the knock-on effects uh, that we have in the economy and people's households and so on. It's very substantial, but if you take a systems view, I think uh, the f balancing feedback is we want to get back to something that feels kind of stable. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and do we just ignore what we just all went through, or do we somehow integrate that into how we go forward? So in, a, in an organizational way, how do we make our, in the U.S., our public health system more able to respond to all the different contexts that people find themselves in. It's so tough in, the, in a federalist system like what we have, but it's not that far from what it's like, say, in France, um, which doesn't have kind of the same kind of federalist system. Um, how, do you, how do you gather information so that you know what's needed uh, how do you feed from the federal level to the local level? How do you feed from the local level to the state level to the federal level? You know, we now have more understanding of why that's important and how to do it. Mm -hmm. We had some great successes sure. during the pandemic. Let's figure out how to get more of that and less of the, you know, I'm not going to be a part of this. I don't trust any of it, you know. Etc. So uh, I highlighted in uh, earlier in one of the sessions, we had some major triumphs in the U.S. One of them was Operation Warp Speed, and you know this was going on in England as well to create those messenger RNA-based vaccines. Unheard of yeah. to get this, but behind the scenes, scientists had to go persuade policymakers that this was feasible and you could do it. So that, that's something that's worth studying as leadership scholars. How did that leadership come about? Uh, it bridged for-profit institutions, the CDC, the White House, et cetera. So that was a major accomplishment. Another major accomplishment is that this was the first campaign on the part of the federal government that I ever saw that actually put racial equity out there as a goal and Mm -hmm. operationalized it mm -hmm. to say, okay, how do we get vaccine acceptance on tribal lands? How do we get it in black neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. How do we mm -hmm. somehow connect to Hispanic communities that are skeptical? Mm -hmm. And said, are we going to do it? And they, we did do it. Yeah. The death rates for white and people of color, there's no gap now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you shared that because it's it's interesting. I have um, 
a close friend who is white and she was like you know kind of like i don't understand why people aren't just getting the vaccine and i'm yeah. like well there are things like um it's the tuskegee Experience. yeah, yeah. where right. they're like you know saying well hey come and get this vaccine yeah. baiting them into one thing and then they're doing something completely right. different. And, right. I, and I feel like because we haven't had that collective conversation, yeah. right. people don't know. But right. but you're right. They were they were in spaces trying to actively do it. And yes. I, I will say there are some places where it bit them in the butt. Like I am in Philadelphia, yeah. and they had a, a person who claimed they could go into black and brown communities and, and yeah. encourage people. Right. And it was a, a front and a huge fail. Yeah. It, was, um, it ended yes. up being the person who ran it um, took advantage of the government in trying to do the right thing, yes. right? And that was the story yes. that people ran with oh, instead of yeah. it really being an effort to right. try to do something different in yes. those spaces. It was yes. really an interesting challenge, but I'm, I'm glad you yeah. shared that. Yeah. The successes that I think sometimes get lost Well, in and the, the media, noise. I believe, still, the mainstream media, now I'm not very expert on, uh, you know, the feeds that go across the internet more, but um, you know, I'm an old journalist, you know, we were always looking for, you know, where were they screwing up and mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. which is important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we need the stories about how these things do work out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just yesterday, you know, I'm looking at the Fox feed and the CNN feed and both <laughs> of them basically, but more so Fox, was the whole nation's falling into violence and confusion and, you know, bad, terrible, illegal behavior. And I'm thinking, okay, I walked all around Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and, you know, these narratives get out there about, I mean, I live in inner city Minneapolis, and a lot of people think we're under siege still. And I'm thinking, okay, carjackings are increased. Uh, most people are not experiencing carjackings, and besides that, they're they're running around in a lot of other places as mm -hmm, well mm -hmm. in the metro area, not just downtown Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a more balanced uh, um, view of what's going on out there, I think, is important. Yeah. So I've probably strayed way off. No, but, no. I think, but I think your you know your point's well taken. Like celebrating the successes of things that 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 were done the right way and yeah. did con, did right. consider systemic issues and meeting people where they're at yeah. and like what can we learn from that as yeah. opposed to taking you know the view of just scrutinizing decisions that were poorly executed right. or, 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 yeah. or or decisions that resulted in poor execution of yeah. policy or or what have you. Well, and we yeah. have an opportunity to learn from that as an association and as right. a discipline. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, leadership work is always going to involve some things that, that go awry or, mm -hmm. you know, by definition, in a way, when you have government programs, you know, they're, they're applicable across all kinds of populations. You know, you're always going to have somebody that takes advantage um, and trying to build in some safeguards, but you've got to accept that there are a few cheaters and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and incompetence and, mm -hmm. you know, it's out there. Uh, but it's worth it usually to uh, have the the bulk of it be effective and so on. I just don't think yeah. you're ever going to get a perfect yeah. government program. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you figured that out, <laughs> yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, so we thank you so much for your time today. We have um, appreciated just being surrounded. I think you called it a gluminary, a glowery. <laughs> we have appreciated being in your glowery space. And thank you <laughs> so much for, for sharing just a yeah. little bit with our audience and wish you the best oh, as you travel you. back I home. I wish you both uh, as well and appreciate this chance. Yeah, congratulations again. Thank yeah. you. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators the Association of Leadership Educators, and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.